ready? And three, two, one, take it away. Hi, and welcome to Cadence Podcast. I'm Katarina. And I'm Michael. And we're excited about today's episode because with the spring weather upon us, everyone seems to either be starting to travel or planning their travel plans. So today's episode is about travel. We thought we would just do something fun because the last few have been a bit more of a deep dive based on research and things we've read and whatever. Yeah, Yeah, and so today's episode is just going to be about personal experiences and just trying to explore what travel means to us and how we both feel that it is such an essential part of life. I think everybody believes that in one way or another, right? Whatever that means to them. Yeah, probably people think about travel in different ways and it means very different things to different people, but I think... Um, it has, it means a lot to a lot of people in whatever way they, they think about it. Mm -hmm. And we'll dive deeper into it, deeper, deeper, deeper into it. But before we do that, we have to start off with the new cadence. And this week is Michael's turn. Yep. So the new cadence for anyone who is just jumping on to the podcast, it's a segment where we talk about news that we have stumbled upon that is uh, super interesting to us, Uh, usually something that we have seen uh, recently or is trending. And for me, it is the oleato trend in coffee. Oleato. Yeah. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard it before. Sounds very uh, Italian. (laughs) Yeah. So... It does sound Italian, and it only got named that recently by Starbucks. Oh, okay. Because the trend is, some there was a barista, I believe, who decided to take olive oil and put it into their coffee. Olive oil? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's where the name's coming from, Ol- Oleato. I think Starbucks uh, took like... that name, but originally the barista basically took some olive oil poured it into the milk Mm -hmm. and then steamed it and then made his coffee with it, his or her coffee with it. And honestly, like right, right when you first hear that, it sounds disgusting. And was it a, like, was it intentionally that they put it in or was it sort of, you know, some, some, sometimes food gets discovered by a mistake or something? No, I think, I think the reason is because baristas really understand coffee just like, a sommelier understands wine or mm-hmm. a chef understands mm-hmm. food. So they, they understand how something could mix together and, and, and taste well. And so maybe they were thinking that sort of nutty flavor that sometimes olive yeah. oil can get. Um, emulsifying with the fats of milk can give you like a very unique flavor. And yeah, it's, it sounds wild to me because I would never in a million years want to do that. But now it's starting to hit mainstream because for when when something gets picked up by Starbucks, it just starts to go mainstream. And you know that I like now that I think about it, we have to t- touch on the olive oil in a little second. But I guess oil in milk isn't very uncommon these days because oat milk has what is it rapeseed oil in it or yeah. So it's like that concept of oil in the milk. 
isn't as foreign. And exactly the reason why purists who drink milk, milk, however you think of it, think oat milk is absolutely disgusting because you're drinking oil. Yeah, and I, when I think about it, I, I actually think it's sort of weird, but I guess... And vice versa. Yeah. The people who drink oat milk think it's weird that you're drinking cow milk. Yeah, that's right made for a baby cow. Yeah, exactly. So that's a whole different topic, but let's get into the oleado. So the oleado is, uh, let me just quickly read it from actual Starbucks themselves. It says, coffee meets olive oil. Welcome to an experience like no other. Your coffee ritual uplifted. Starbucks coffee infused with Partana extra virgin olive oil. Velvety, velvety smooth, deliciously lush. And it's super interesting. So it started out in Italy, obviously first, and now it's starting to expand a little more globally. And yeah, it says they will continue to introduce beverages in select locations around the world, including Japan, Middle East, United Kingdom, Chicago, Seattle, New York. And it just gives it, they, they say that the olive oil just gives it, um, yeah, it says they're, they're actually steaming the olive oil with oat milk and it's giving it that velvety, smooth, delicious texture. And what's interesting about that whole thing is on Twitter, there's been a, a few users saying, that they've tried it, mm -hmm. and some people said it was okay, but but they were getting a lot of um, a lot of negative comments as well. Like some people were saying it was making their stomach feel feel a bit weird, and some people said it tasted horrible. And to be honest, a, a lot of the pictures that I saw that was attached with those comments was with the iced iced um, versions. Yeah, okay. and so maybe it separated and it looked really weird. But because I think the the steamed hot versions could be okay. But yeah, yeah, like I guess from a texture perspective, I can totally understand because more like that's also okay. the reason why you use whole milk for steaming and not um what's it called? skim milk. Yeah, you need the fat. Yeah, you need the fat and it's so it, it it makes sense that more fat is better, but I just can't wrap my head around olive oil because and the flavor of olive it had oil. A such, it has such a distinct flavor and they specifically say for some dishes when you're cooking or when you're baking or whatever do not use olive oil because of that distinct taste because it will come out so that in relation to coffee especially thinking about some people putting like sugar in their coffee making it yeah. more of a sweet beverage i just can't see that i mean that's the thing right that's what's interesting about uh, opening with this topic is because like traveling, you have to be open to trying things because then you can discover something that you might have not discovered before that would be absolutely delicious. But maybe we'll try it. We have a really great espresso machine here at home. So with like a really, you know, high quality steamer. So maybe we'll give it a go and report back. But if you're watching the podcast on YouTube, then maybe leave us a comment, uh, what you think about this, this coffee trend and, and coffee's you know, breaking these boundaries and people experimenting so much. And if you're a listener of the podcast on one of the platforms, we'll, when we do decide to do it, we'll report back. Yeah. I mean, I'm like open, I'll, I'll try it, but yep. it's uh, it's a very interesting thing yeah. that I've never heard before. Yeah. But let's move on to the topic for today. Yeah. So I think um, what we really wanted to start with is sort of our personal stories around traveling. So yeah, I think why don't you start and kind of give people a little bit of a quick 
run through of your relationship with travel, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, I think travel has always been sort of something that was part of me. And that sounds like pretentious or something. I don't know. But I like my my parents always used to travel a lot and still do. My dad um, in the 70s went to Thailand and Sri Lanka. And as a child, I would always go through these photo albums, seeing black and white photos of him and not knowing really much about the countries that he had visited. And um, I was introduced to travel really early on as a child. Like I think the first flight I ever was on was when I was six months old. Do you know where the flight was to? Do you remember? I think it was um, like, uh, it was the Canary Islands. Okay. Somewhere like uh, Tenerife or Fuerteventura or something. I'm not really sure. Um, Spain, definitely. Because <laughs> we Be- travel because- a lot to Spain. Yes, because <laughs> because the Germans travel to the islands quite a bit. Yeah, I've never actually been to mainland Spain. I've only ever been to all the islands. Like, I think there's a few that I haven't been to. But yeah, so every year we would fly um, to different places in Europe visiting. And I think um, it's always been something that I really, really looked forward to. And then when I grew older, I would not only travel to travel, I would study abroad for different um, lengths of time and it was really something that was always I guess the highlight of my year or that specific period of time or something and um, it's really travel to me is something where in everyday life you sometimes it feels a bit monotonous and travel is the perfect opportunity to break out of that routine that I also love so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think th- that's the thing that I struggle with because I think when you hear the word travel instantly people think vacation. Yeah. Right? And and I actually don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, no, of course. They're not. not like like to me I don't think travel is always about the vacation. Sometimes yeah. traveling is to to gain experiences or learn or or whatever. But I think most times when people hear, what are your travel plans? They're actually referring to like your vacation wise, right? So, and also travel doesn't also mean some people have to travel for work. And it's like, a, and it's not something that people like look forward to because traveling has good and bad, but you're all, you're referring to it from like a happy perspective. And I'm, I'm trying to like, talk about it and I think right now we're starting off with that but I think there are caveats to to traveling that that is that is good and bad like sometimes it's work related sometimes it's not enjoyable the airport situation is not always good the delays and living out of suitcase is not always the best but when did do you remember you said you traveled by yourself for the very first time um I traveled by myself for the very first time when I was pretty young you said 14 yeah um I'm, a friend and I went on a um, summer language school in uh, England. And that was the first time I went on a plane as a young adult without any parents or anything. Yeah. But then, so then you have to start moving into after being a teenager, like your adult travel life. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Um, and as, a, as an adult, I, as a teenager, we did the typical like, party and uh go to Mallorca 
five years in a row because that's what we wanted to do. Always stayed at the same hotel and partied all week. And then I think, um, sort of in university was when I then like branched out a bit more and I went to different continents and lots of different places. I went to South Africa. I went to different countries in Asia. I went to Canada for the first time. I went to Bolivia. Like I've lived abroad a couple of times too. So um, like you said, Wales was one of them where I did my master's. I lived abroad in Canada, which we've mentioned in one of the previous episodes, if you've listened to that. I uh, studied abroad in the States as well, in Oklahoma, when I was in university. And, um, yeah. And, and then we have to preface by saying that um, Not Like Cat is, like, loaded with money bags, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you did it just be, by being savvy. And I think yeah. that's also a, a thing that we should tackle, too, is people always think, like, I don't have a lot of money, so I can't do a lot of traveling. But I think there are ways to be able to do that because again, I also grew up not like com- super well off. My pa- I'm um, a child of immigrant parents. So I guess we can get into sort of my relationship a little bit. I think when you're born and raised in North America, most children travel a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So I can say with certainty that the first time I got onto an airplane ever to travel anywhere, I was probably, I would say like, 13 mm-hmm. or 14, somewhere around there, 12, pardon me, between 12 and 14. And do you remember where you went? Yeah, we went to Vegas, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, parents book a trip because they want to go to Vegas, take their kids to this, like the city that never sleeps, all these beautiful lights. And it's, yeah, when you first get there as a small child, you're just like, whoa, this is wild. But, but for me, it's like every time that I traveled when I was younger, before that first trip, it was always a road trip. It was always just driving to Vancouver and down the coast of California. We did that two, three years in a row. And and maybe, like, I, I'm assuming because for us, it just seemed, my parents, they just seemed it was more practical to just drive there th- with a car rather than flying with a child. Or it could be a money thing. I never really asked them, but we were always very fortunate. We got to do a road trip through California, and California is beautiful, and go to Disneyland multiple times. And... Uh, yeah, so I think that's just how lots of Canadians sort of navigate. Like they, they drive a lot and then flying for a lot of people happen a lot later. Some people are very fortunate who they can do that earlier where they have that experience and confidence, or maybe they come, have come from Europe. So to them flying with children and flying all over the place is not a big deal because it happens so much here. And then... After that, I think I just, uh, the very first time I did a solo trip to, the first time I ever got went to Europe by myself was in 2011. Really? Yeah, and you knew that. We, and it was yeah. to Spain. I went to Spain because I w- admired, uh, at the time I was really into architecture, so I really admired Antoni Gaudi. And if you don't know who he is, he's just a, a very famous architect that did a lot of insane architecture all throughout uh, Bar- Barcelona. And so I went there, and that was the first time I did that in 2011. And what's funny about that story, that that I have to like, there's there's the trip was amazing. I did a sort of a three week, three to four week solo trip. But the distinct things that I remember, and I'll I'll, I'll talk about the first one first, and then we'll get into the second one later, is that when you fly a long haul flight across the Atlantic, 
I had no idea that alcohol was free. Mm, okay. You know, like I just, I just like had my meals and had my soft drinks. But then when I landed, everyone was like, "Oh, how was your flight? Like, like did you enjoy the drinks?" I was like, "Oh no, I didn't drink anything because I didn't want to pay." They're like, "No, it's free." So, you bet that on my way home, I drank double the amount that I would have just to make sure that I got my money's worth. And is it still like that, that you can uh, just, I know, like I've had a glass of wine with dinner. And it's free. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think, I don't think so. Because every time we've flown from Canada to Germany, I don't think they offered us drinks at all. Like, no, there was never, like, I only ever saw, like, I never ordered any. And I also never saw the people around me have drinks that looked more special than like a water in the off time. Yeah. I don't know. Was that a thing back then? Like. I, the first time I ever had uh, alcohol on a flight was in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, when we, when my friend and I went back from a long trip to Southeast Asia and we wanted to celebrate with, I think, a bottle of wine or a beer or mm-hmm. something. So I also don't know. Like, I have no, no idea what it's like. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking it up right now. And it's um, they. It says like it depends on the the airline company, but there are a lot of airline companies that still do the unlimited free alcohol on long haul flights. I guess you just have to ask for it and see what they say. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know for sure, but I guess we could dive into more research on that and and figure out whether that's the truth or not but that sort of brings me to the point that like I was in my mid mid 20s around that time and you would think that you I would have come across that or known that information that the alcohol is free on flights but the thing is if you don't know you don't know and if you're not surrounded by people who tell you that information because they either don't know themselves or don't assume that you don't know, then it's also like. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things why we should be traveling is I think you can learn a lot through travel. Like, like there are things that you can learn through life experience, like, like what they call street smarts Mm -hmm. that you will never learn by being book smart. Oh yeah, of course. Like, We've talked about this before, but you don't, you can't learn how something tastes. You can read about how it tastes, but like you don't actually know how it tastes or how someone, how someone like really lives their life or how something smells. Yeah. Or like how something feels of when, I don't know why, but the first thing that came into my mind because I was thinking about the different senses was um, Shibuya crossing in Tokyo. Like... You, yeah, like I like I know that the Shibuya crossing is one of the busiest crossings in the world and it's just flooded with people when the, it's like an eight-way crossing or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty insane. And it's um you can see it in a video, you can read about it, you can have people tell you mm-hmm. about it. See a photo of it. You can see a photo of it, but unless you're in it, you will never know how it feels. Yeah, and that's and that's the beauty uh, of traveling. Like I think it it can teach you a lot about sort of 
how it could teach you a lot about sort of yourself and how you react in some of those situations, how you feel, but it also could teach you about other people as well and how to relate to them. Yeah, it can. That's totally it. And like, it can teach you how you respond to other people, especially when they're a bit different from you. Mm -hmm. And when, when, when something isn't the way that you're used to, or people act in a way that you're not used to, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing um, that we we are trying that, that we've talked about a lot is how traveling can teach you empathy. I think that's that's sort of sort of the biggest thing is because when you're traveling. And you're in a place where you don't speak their language and the money, the currency is different and you don't know the directions, you can't read the signs. You're hoping that people are empathetic to you and and can and will help you a little bit. And in this day and age, it's a little bit easier because, you know, you have apps and translators and all that. But then at the same time, it also helps you be a little more empathetic yourself because when they're in your country and they're struggling, you can show them sort of that in return. Yeah, totally. And, and so, and, and especially now me living here, I, I appreciate that the most, right? Because I'm, even though it's an English speaking country like Germany, you can survive here, no problem. But, you know, there are times where you just hope that someone can guide you a little, it's a huge city. And yeah, that's just one of the things that I think uh, traveling can can help you do outside of just having this vacation mode like I think that's the one thing that I think we should touch on is the difference between traveling in a way that you're comfortable which is like sort of like a resort vacation and everything is the way that you would know it at home except that you just don't have to work versus actually traveling through a city and experience it the way the people who live there experience it yeah I think when you when you travel in a sense where you're exposing yourself to whatever is in front of you in the culture it feels like you're like a child taking its first steps because you might not know how to you don't understand the language you might depending on the country you might not be able to read the signs you might have read about the culture but you aren't really sure on some of the um the way people do things and it's really this like you, ha you take one step after the other and try to figure out how to navigate that situation. But you're also in wonder, like a child is, yeah. as you discover things. Like That's the best part about traveling and being open to be uncomfortable, right? Like that whole quote, like... Yeah, it's like something... What's that quote? Um, there is no nothing that creates a greater sense of childlike wonder than traveling yeah but then the other one the 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 comfort zone oh the comfort zone um uh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone exactly yeah life begins at the end of your comfort zone and i think the comparison to um a child like learning to walk for the first time and touching things and tasting things for the first time and you see those videos on tiktok and instagram where a child eats something and their face lights up it's like how often do we really get those experiences anymore? Because as an adult in, and you've lived somewhere, you're just comfortable and you know how something's going to taste. But when you go to a new country and you get to try something new, that's when you get those feelings again. And the older you get, the, le the amount of times that you get that 
that wonderment, that feeling of like, whoa, I've never tried this before, or what is that? What am I seeing? What am I feeling for the first time? Those things diminish because you experience more. Yeah, that's so true. And it's also, I also think if I just look at my parents, for example, or, or something, the older you get, the more comfortable you get in your comfort zone. So getting out of that is even when you're traveling, I think is uh, much harder and you don't do it as much. So I guess like your comfort zone becomes bigger because you know so many things. So stepping out of that makes mm -hmm. it so like, I don't know. It's, 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 but that's what, what, what's, what makes it worth it. Yeah. I think, um, there, I, I'm, I'm always like really impressed and, just so like amazed, I guess is, is, is a word of, of the people who have experienced a lot in life and continue to want to experience it. So I mean like some old, there are some older people out there who continue to experience things that I'm, that even some young people are too uncomfortable to do. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So true. And I am in awe of those people because there's so many more people that when you're older sort of do, do what they know and, yeah there's very few that really just go go that step further and expose themselves to it but I think that also in like when you're a bit older helps you stay alive in yep. a way it keeps you energized yeah. so for you personally are you a fan of I think a city trip a like sort of resort all-inclusive type trip or or like sort of like a secluded in like the wilderness or mountain, like sort of very deserted, small town, small village type of trip? Um, I think it sort of changes from time to time. When I was younger, it was really only resort vacations because that's what I... I think most children are taken to to resorts by their parents because it's easy for the parents exactly yeah. and and then i wanted and then as a teenager like i said also the party trips with Everyone resort vacations yeah. so then i really went the other way mm -hmm. the only thing i wanted to do was secluded natural wonders everything like so not comfortable mm -hmm. and now i really like a balance so for me it's hard to pick i think if i had to pick one of them probably a city trip gives me the most because you get everything there you get you experience the culture you experience the food you see the people mm -hmm. you can also appreciate uh nature in a city in a way of the weather the sky all those sorts of things yeah i always i think for us and how we've discussed it is like a city energizes me and when i travel um, and, and it goes back to people who travel to do nothing and then people who travel to experience and to be inspired or energized. And I'm more on that side of things. So I prefer to be in a city trip. And again, like when you do a city trip with, with a famous city, there's always going to be the huge tourist areas. And that's going to be pretty much unavoidable. But how we always navigate that is we, we usually get up ridiculously early to experience a city in some of those areas and there's not a lot of people out 
So a few photographers like ourselves and other people, but then the city wakes up slowly and then everything gets flooded and you get that energy and you sit down for, for coffee and there's just the loud noises of the people and the cars and the vendors. And, and, and I think that's one thing that we have uh, come to really enjoy and you've enjoyed it with me because I get up to take, all, to take those photos and you come with me and we experience the city in, in lots of different ways. But oftentimes I do want to make sure that it, there's an element of like some sort of like hike or excursion that is, that is more off the beaten path, if you will, to, so that you can actually do, so that you have a little bit of time to just take that deep breath and, and relax a little bit for, for a moment. Yeah, because as energizing as city trips are, they're also they're really, tiring. really, really exhausting, especially when you do want to get up early and then you don't want to, we do take our breaks throughout the day then, but we, we still really want to see things during the day. Mm -hmm. And we, so we're still out and about. Yeah. And what's, what's funny is we've done a lot of city trips in the last year and a bit. And so I think right now, Katarina and I are craving sort of like a resort style, like, mm -hmm. but not like a mass resort, maybe something a little smaller or, or a nature resort retreat kind of thing. I don't know if that's, that's what the right word is, but just so that we can actually take, you know, several days, like seven days to 10 days to just to enjoy just the nature and almost do nothing. Because that's also a style of traveling to recharge your battery. Yeah, of course. And I think that's a big element of it. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I find with those that, that I always have an issue issue i don't have an issue with it but what but my counter argument on not doing those often is that you're not pushing your comfort zone exactly and especially especially when you start going to the same places where you always have that same experience that maybe be the same resort experience mm -hmm. so that's like a whole nother level yeah. but i think but even if it's a resort you've never been to it's it, it doesn't push your, your boundaries. You're just there to relax. So it's like laying in bed all day isn't pushing your comfort zone. Eating food that is at a resort usually is something that you're, that is a little more comfortable for you because at a resort, they're, even if it's ethnic food, they're going to make it a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more mainstream, if you will. Yeah, totally. And, and, and if you eat it multiple days in a row, it no longer becomes that foreign to you. You know, it's not like it's street food that makes you uncomfortable, but but some, but then it could like wow you with its flavor bomb, you know, like surprise you from this street food cart that just blows your mind with flavor. But, yeah. And I think with an, with a resort vacation, there's some sort of like, um, safety aspect yeah. in a way of like in lots of different ways, actually in, you know what to expect. Soon you'll make the resort your home, so you'll know how to get everywhere. Yeah. It's very easy. And also, like, actually the safety aspect. You could be in any country in the world, but if you're in a secluded, fenced-off resort, you don't actually experience what's going on in the, in the country around you. And that can be a... It's a beautiful thing to know that you've, you can be safe anywhere, but at the same time it's sort of maybe neglecting what that country is really about outside that. Outside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and we can't like dive into this and, and not sort of talk about how I'm sure everybody out there wants to travel more. Maybe not everybody. Like, like I think there's a lot of people who are just comfortable being in their city and, and being able to navigate. But I think for the, for the most part, people 
kind of want to travel and experience things or be able to go on vacations more. But there are just going to be certain circumstances where you're not going to be able to. Like the biggest thing is that I have friends visiting me this year who are planning their summer trips. And a lot of them have never been to Europe. Mm-hmm. And they're older, like, you know, like in their, you know, early 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, whatever. And it's simply because, and, and I'm not even talking money wise, I'm talking simply because in Canada, you get 10 days, you get 10 days off, right? So how are you going to come to Europe for 10 in, in 10 days? Yeah. It, it takes you a day and a half to, it takes you a day to fly, a day and a half to get adjusted to the jet lag. And then that's, you have to do that sort of at the end, till end. So you, so you lose like two, three days already. And then you have like seven days. Like, I don't know. And in Canada, it's just much easier to do that three-day trip to the mountains or a four or five-day road trip to the coast or just take a couple-hour flight over to Toronto or something if you're on the West Coast and vice versa. And it's just harder to do long trips because here's the thing. You still need a few days of vacation to do... I don't know, maybe family gatherings or Christmas or whatever. And if you count maybe Christmas in or maybe a few birthdays here and there that you need to take off, but you're left with four, five, six days to travel. Yeah, it's good. So you're not going to, you're not doing Europe. Well, and especially if you come to, I think the idea is when you, when you leave your continent, you want to make the most out of it. And then you're, you you are suddenly on a continent where everything is so close in in proximity so you feel like you need to see so much mm-hmm. but then you're actually exhausted by the time you come back because you had to cram it into six days or something yeah whereas like in in europe the europeans they get like a minimum you said it was 24 or something mm-hmm. like that so and because the proximity of everything is so much closer here you can literally hit up three countries in a day if you want to. You're driving through all of them already and you have 24 days. You could easily book a 14-day trip and do a ton of stuff. Yeah. Or like we did last year with our Portugal road trip, which by the way, if you guys ever want tips on that, we have an extensive list. So feel free to reach out to us in um, on social media or whatever. But we easily did that across two and a half weeks. Yeah, and within, we still within the vacation days, and we still had time for other trips. So yeah. I think, I think it's, and that's where that empathy comes in again. I think it's like, um, be aware, like as much as I am used to a certain type of traveling or something. I think I was. I'm also there, there's a privilege about it to be able to do it in that way because if you have that time available, then yeah. yeah. I mean, privilege, yeah, they're like, and, and the privilege of time and of and money too, because some people who want to travel, even if they have the time, they're not going to be able to. So that's the thing. I think there are, like, for, for me, I think there are lots of great ways to travel affordably. And I think there are people out there who have done it and there's great tips on there. Like, I, like whenever I travel, I, I like to sort of Google the city and I don't, well, some of the keywords that I often use, I don't like. I don't use cheap or budget. I like to go like affordable, because usually you're getting really great options and tips from these from people who have found things that are awesome still, but they're not going to break the bank. Yeah, you're like, you're the best for that. Like 
I have experienced probably the most authentic food with you through the way you travel because that's what you seek out. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, and 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 finding some of these 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 places like th there was one place in was it Lisbon that we went to? We had, we had those those bifanas sandwiches. Yeah, bifanas. It was in Lisbon, and I was just looking, and also in Venice mm -hmm. where we lined up, and I was just seeking out like places to really delicious food and you know i'll i'll, I'll like use combinations of words like affordable or best budget options or or whatnot and and these places are always going to pop up because they've been good for a reason and yeah they're not that expensive at all like the one place uh in lisbon where we had those sandwiches was like three euros for this really nice sliced pork sandwich like a like a national sandwich that they eat there which was absolutely delicious i think it was three euros with the beer and it wasn't only the food itself. It was also that experience that it brought us because we 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 arrived and it was so busy. And yeah. by the time we were actually at the front of the line and you were talking to the uh, server, yeah. he was really helping us navigating what we really wanted on the menu and what we came yeah. for. And like that was at, that was at Gazella's. That was the the Portuguese hot hot dog. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's it's one of those those experiences where it's not just about the food. It's also because you're exposing yourself to to the to to some of the local culture. Yeah, like 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 uh, his name was Nino, the 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 barkeeper man who was serving us. He'll never hear this podcast. He'll probably never find it. But shout out to Nino. And the place is called Gazellas. It's in Porto. This one's in Porto. And in Porto, if you're not familiar, they are very fond of like um, bar seat restaurants, bar snacks, and they have these uh, great sandwiches. Uh, I said the name in one of the vlogs I made on YouTube. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it again right now. I, I don't even remember. Do you remember the name? Starts with the C. Nah, no idea. But anyways, um, maybe you look it up while I yeah. while I describe it. Essentially, it is a uh, hot dog and it is pressed between sort of a hot dog miniature baguette style and then it's pressed on like a panini press with cheese and it's super famous everybody has it but when i went to gazella's right when we got there i ordered i believe it was like a steak sandwich or something and then nino goes no 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 that's not what you want to order i was like oh sorry he's like trust me everybody comes here to order this and it's called a cachorinho. Cachorinho. Or cachorro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, cachorinhos. Yeah. Yeah, gazella, cachorinhos. And he's like, that's what everybody orders. And it was so busy in there. He, I'm like, yep, Nino, I trust you. Just order us whatever. And he brought it out. And he's like, sorry, you can't sit in here. It's too busy. But sit at the bench outside. Like, you can have beer. And they were... Delicious. Like yeah. Some of the some of the tastiest things I've ever eaten. And I think it's those experiences there that make that give you that childlike wonder where it's like you don't know what you're doing and you get exposed to this. Well, my best uh story is uh when I traveled to Vietnam and um my friend and I wanted to grab some lunch and we were trying to go to a more local place, um, a little off the beaten path. And they had, they didn't have a menu outside or we, yeah, I think they didn't have a menu at all. So we sat down and we just kind of 
the because uh, if, if it's that local, the locals come in and they just order like they know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah and so. the the ladies weren't even speaking English, so somehow with her hands and her feet, we communicated that we wanted some lunch, and she had no way of telling us what they had on offer. So what she did, she was like, "Come, come, 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 come," and then we followed her. <laughs> lie, die, lie, die. <laughs> That's what she would say in Vietnamese. Into the kitchen, and um, there were all these incredible women preparing the food and she just made us point on what we wanted and even then like we pointed at singular ingredients but we really still had no idea what sort of dish would come out of it because they know what they can make with those ingredients right if you point to let's say 10 ingredients you would get let's say two dishes or three dishes because they would see the ingredients that you picked and they would go oh those ingredients go with these dishes like for this dish and then they would make it for you like it's it's awesome yeah and like the food that came out was so fresh so amazing one of the best meals i've ever had one of the best memories i had probably so cheap and so, yeah i don't even like it. yeah it's it's and that's the thing it's like especially when you seek out certain foods in in certain places yeah you get that experience on top of it yeah exactly but since we're diving into stories, why don't we tell them some sort of fun stories that we've had with traveling? The, the, the one that I always tell, and I think only a few people know this, like you obviously know this, and I, I want to tell the story because it also leads to, to uh, something else that I wanted to kind of talk about a bit further. But I mentioned that I went to Spain uh, for the very first time in 2011. It was my first overseas trip, which is so wild, right? Like you're later on in life. I think I was like 26 or 27. And I remember I landed in Barcelona and it was, I don't know, it was everything. I was in awe of everything that like the slowness that everyone was living, sort of the food, the, how people just hung out in parks and, and like just gathered every day, all day and like hung out at the beach and now that's pretty normal to me because here, whenever it's sunny, people will work. But then at the end of the workday, everyone goes to the park and hangs out. And it's it's a beautiful sight. But the point of my story was that I remember I was laying at the beach and I was just looking around at the beautiful people and just admiring just everything that, that we don't get, which is like everything, like the surfers and the people sunbathing and the topless women and the bottomless men because nude beaches and just being nude in general in Canada is such like a faux pas or taboo type of thing whereas in Europe they're just a little bit more free but I remember just laying around looking at all the beautiful people and I thought to myself wow this slow relaxed life but also one that is sort of feels more vibrant and yes people were working because I was also like studying and people were hustling there's just this this great balance of living and working and just making it just work better than I had known because again in North America it just because you have so little time you're, you're constant you feel like you're constantly working and then you have maybe two three days off here and there or maybe seven days off here and there but there they they really value the balance of work and life and usually life is first so like balance of life and then work but I remember thinking to myself man one day this is in 2011 one day I'm going to meet a European girl and I'm going to marry her and move to Europe. And 
we, if you know our wedding date, you might put this together. But if you don't, uh, we got married in 2021. And it was pretty much to the day of when I was in Spain. And I don't remember exactly when I had that thought, but it was in September of 2011 when I was thinking about that. And then in September 2021, sorry, in September 19th, 2021, we moved to Europe and moved to Germany. Yeah. Which is so wild. And I guess the point that I wanted to to add to that is that, yes, it took 10 years to sort of fulfill that thought and that dream. But for me, it's like, it's it's possible. And and some of the things that we've talked about, like, it's not like I could work harder to be able to do that. Like, I mean, you could, but like, there are just some things that you can work towards, like saving enough money to buy a car, saving enough money to buy a house, you know, but there are just some things and some dreams that just take longer. And you just got to keep going. You just have to have that feeling inside of you. And, and, and that openness that you yeah. said to hope that it can so happen, like being a famous painter or famous photographer or famous filmmaker or famous fashion designer. And it's less of a tangible thing. Like you couldn't have concrete steps to follow to get there, but no. you stayed open. I could just date a lot of people and hope some of them are European. And But you stayed open to that opportunity. And I think that's a really like that, again, it relates back to to being open while you're traveling. Exactly. And, yeah. I think I think the, the biggest key thing to really have like fruitful um, travel experiences is, is being open to just trying things and doing things. I think that's sort of the most important thing and having that balance. But you had a crazy story. Yeah, I guess uh, trying things can also lead to dangerous situations <laughs> because my story is about how I almost got kidnapped in uh, Bolivia. Uh, I was uh, visiting a friend from Bolivia. She lives there. And traveling by myself. And um, I went to a different city uh, for an overnight trip with uh, a bus. And why did you decide to do this overnight trip by yourself when you were visiting your friend? Because she was, um, she had to work a lot. Yeah. So uh, she couldn't take the entire time off that I was there. So right. I kind of... Just happened to be on one of the days that she had to work. Exactly. And so I took an overnight bus to this uh, city, spent some time there. But what city and why did you want to go there? Um, it's one of the most beautiful cities in Bolivia. It's called uh, Sucre. Sucre. I hope I'm not butchering this. It's the white. It's called the White City because mm, cool. it's it's very um, like colonial architecture. Very very white. All the buildings really really beautiful. So that's yeah. why um, I wanted to sort of see it. I felt yeah. like my trip wasn't complete if I didn't do it, and I had to do it by myself because no one could go with me. Um. So went there, enjoyed my time, went back on the overnight bus and then arrived back in La Paz, where my friend was living um, in the morning. And uh, we had discussed that I would take a taxi to her house. No one was there at the time because everyone was working, but I, um, I had a key to the house, so I knew how to get in. And um, I was there trying to get a taxi and all, all the taxi drivers were for some reason denying me saying they weren't going to, to that location. And I wonder why that was. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
until at some point someone accepted and said, yeah, yeah, right away. Come in, come again. He like really ushered me into the taxi really fast. And that's where I made the mistake. My friend had said, take, when you get into the taxi, take a photo of the license plate and send it to me right away. Um, so that I just know what taxi you're in. Didn't have a chance because he really just like made me go into the taxi. I sit down, wanted to text my friend that I had forgotten to take a the photo of the license plate, realized uh, my phone had died. Okay, so we're in this car driving and I had go gone back to and from the station with a taxi a couple of times. So I sort of knew where we were supposed to be going. And at some point realized he's going somewhere else. Like he's going somewhere where I have no idea where he's going. And then also started talking to me and I, he was talking to me in Spanish and I was trying to respond as much as I could with my uh, Spanish that was available to me. Yeah. Cause you speak a, like a very small amount of Spanish. Yeah. And, um, at first the questions were just like, where are you from? Where did you cut? Like, where did you just come from? Where are you going? And then the questions just got weirder and weirder of like, um, do you know where we are right now? I had no idea where we were. Um, is someone expecting you at home? And I, at that point, I was like, ah, something is weird. So I, even though I had no idea where we were, I said, yeah, 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 I've been here a million times. And oh yeah, my friend is waiting for me at home. I texted her that I'll be back in 15 minutes. And I just had this feeling in my stomach that I was, I had no idea what was happening. I even considered jumping out of the taxi at some point because I knew something was wrong. So instead of jumping out, what I tried to do is sound as confident as I could towards him. And I was lucky at some point he just dropped me off at the house. And then I researched later that actually a lot of people get kidnapped at that. And, and how long in your head was that taxi ride? Like how, how long did that drive feel to you? It felt like 30 minutes. It was probably, usually it should be 15. It was maybe closer to 25, 30. Yeah. So he, like, he was like taking a bit of a, like a detour route. Yeah. I mean, that's super scary, right? Like, and that's the thing. I think when you're in, when you don't travel a lot, that's when you don't have like that gut instinct to, like for you, since you have, you had already traveled a little bit, you got this inkling and, so right away, your instinct was to just sort of be bolder and say, like, I know where I am. My friend's expecting me. And you, and you reacted in a way of sort of confidence and, and hope for the best. Like you, I'm sure if, if things took even longer, you would have just opened the cab door and just rolled out. But man, goes to show that like, one, just having a little bit of confidence and sternness. Two, just doing things properly, like, like, taking a picture of that license plate. Cause had she done that, she would have realized her phone was dead and probably didn't jump, wouldn't have jumped in a cab. Yeah. And be stern. It's like, don't let them usher you into the taxi. Be like, no, give me a second. Yeah. And like, then, yeah. Like yeah, 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 off. that's the number thing about, that's the one thing about traveling, whether good or bad is you just need to be steadfast in what you need or want, you know? And, and, and so, yeah, I think, Again, when you travel, it teaches you street smarts, things that you just will never learn in, in a book, you know? Yeah, and I think it also, it's you carry those experiences home. Like they make you a better person in your home country too because yep. you have a, 
you have some sort of experience that you can apply to everyday life situations as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the one thing that I think we can't uh, bypass in a travel episode outside of these stories and, and all that is we need to like dive a little bit into sort of food mm -hmm. when it comes to, and even though this episode isn't about food, I think food is a big part of people love for traveling i mean two of the things we talked about earlier was around food and what how that impacted us on our our, our trips yeah yeah exactly i think food just like really sort of gives you understanding of who the people are like the love that they put into it how eating the food in the country can really um differ from eating that same food in your own country because they totally change it completely and it's so funny like i remember when i was living um abroad in the states i had made like a little facebook group for my family where i would give them weekly family and friends weekly updates about what i was up to and every single post that i did i talked about the things that i ate and even though North America isn't so different from Europe. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was experiencing the country so much mm -hmm. through the food. Mm -hmm. And my friends were commenting on it, even saying like, all you talk about is the food. And I'm like, yes, because that is such a big part of this. Yeah, trend. yeah, it is. Like, for sure. Because I think in, in, a lot of, in a lot of countries, food is the one thing that gathers everybody, right? The one thing that I always find interesting is that like, that when, when you travel and going back to sort of being open is that you really have to be open to to trying food and when you do that you really get to experience it in in full because i hate to say it, but like if you're traveling to a different country and, and like let's say you're from north america and you're traveling to a different country and seeking out north american food you're not going to have that the same experience you might come back and be like yeah india was fine but you know, McDonald's tastes great, great in India. They have a yeah, yeah. chicken curry burger. Yeah, 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 exactly. And 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 to not make a, a a story too long, sometimes that comfort can be good because one time I was in um the same in Spain in Barcelona again, I had food poisoning and the only thing that helped me get over that week long of tummy aches was to <laughs> interestingly enough eat mcdonald's yeah because it was comforting and i understood it my stomach understood it but but food is like such an important part of it and i think we'll have to do an episode where we talk deeper about it but just off the top of your head though what is one food experience from your trips or from a specific trip where you're like man i remember that distinctly how amazing that was oh um you know what's interesting it, it's nothing wild, like it's nothing you might think, but I remember I was in Jamaica and there was this one place that was serving roadside jerk chicken and they were grilling it on the, it was, it was crazy. Like most people probably would be scared to eat there, but like it was very famous and a lot of people ate there, but they served it on like corrugated metal with tree, tree, cheese, trees chopped from around that region. So it gave the chicken this really great flavoring and smoke from that area and it was probably again nothing wild but some of the best chicken that i've ever had but outside of that i think the one thing that i absolutely couldn't get over from the region was when um two two things one was paella in barcelona and it's not like 
that's not like I don't think that region is like super, like huge on that if I, if I'm not mistaken. But the other thing that blew my mind was the I had this uh, butterfish from Hawaii, and on the menu it was listed the time it was caught in the area it was caught by the fishermen that it was caught, and that to me is just like the epitome of perfection. That is amazing. Yeah. So, what about you? What is like like the most like when it came to food where you ate something that you're like, man, I need to go back and eat that again or just, or shocked you in a way that was. I think I actually have a more like a, not a shocking experience, but uh, more of an outside your comfort zone food experience. Mm -hmm. When again, I went to South Africa. Um, they of course eat a lot of different game meats. Yeah. They also eat a different, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong again. Worms, 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 worms. And like little worms. Yeah, and like ants and stuff. Okay. And uh, I don't know what specific worm it was, but it was like a white worm in a tomato sauce that I ate. And I tried, I don't even remember what different types of game meats I tried, but it's probably not something that I say I need to ever eat again in my life. Mm -hmm. But I did it, and it was part of that experience because it's part of their culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I'll be honest, like I, um, again, I have somewhat of a sense of stomach, but I also can try anything because, as you know, um, most ethnic people they grow up there. Just th th their palate is just much more expansive, in my opinion. Like, oh, totally. I think I Asians just have a just a much deeper palate than than a lot of other like cultures one thing i was once heard someone say is think about your absolutely absolute favorite food and imagine you never tried it mm -hmm. then you would never know how delicious it is so what if your favorite food of all times is still out there and you haven't tried it yet? exactly and i think you should always just give it a give it a try and i have and this going back to what you were talking about from south africa is like i am not the biggest fan of gaming I've, I've eaten it before not the hugest fan like depending on the ones but the one thing that I will all I would definitely like you have a hard time with is the whole bug thing. Like they they do that in Thailand too, I think, right? I just couldn't do. I don't think I could do. I don't think I'll ever do that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The but I don't. I don't think I tried bugs. Um, yeah, the or like they do like little the... crickets or grasshoppers or whatever. That's just not for me. Apparently, just very crunchy like a chip. Yeah, with lots of protein. Yeah. But maybe I think what we should do. Uh, I, because it's starting, like we've been talking for a little while, we should do maybe some quick rapid fire questions, like answers and questions, and we'll just answer it. Favorite place that you've been to that you want to go back to? South Africa. Portugal. Um, one place you haven't been to you want to go to? Japan. Tanzania. Okay. Favorite thing that you, well, I think we've already talked about it. Oh, favorite thing that you've eaten on, on your trip? Favorite thing I've eaten, uh, Vietnam, that experience that I talked about yeah. earlier. What about you? Um, I did say Hawaii, but one of my favorite things, again, was in Portugal at this like mom and pop restaurant. And it was one of the tastiest things I've ever eaten because it was also only like seven euros or something like that for a whole dinner plate. Uh, natural... Or one of the seven, like one of the seven world wonders or natural wonder that you would ever mm -hmm. want to see. Uh, for me, 
I definitely would want, I, I need to at some point, I'm like desperately wanting to see uh, Ginza mm-hmm. in Jordan, mm-hmm. right? Is that what it's called? Petra. Oh my God. Pe- Ginza is Japan. Ginza is Japan? I, I thought it was one of the pyramids. Ginza is Egypt. Oh man, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All over the place. Yeah. I would also love to be able to see the pyramids of Egypt one time in my life. I don't know if that will ever happen, but definitely Petra, Jordan, I would love to see that. What about you? My mind went straight to nature, so my uh, answer is Northern Lights. Yep, so maybe we have to do a trip up to Finland and Norway, whatever. Hot climate or cold climate traveling? Hot. Yeah, same with me. Uh, Travel in... uh, Travel... Five times in a year for one week or do one five-week vacation? Whoa. Um, right now, I want quantity. So five for one week. What about you? Same. <laughs> quantity. I think we went through a lot. Yeah. We hope that you are well on your way to planning some of your travel plans for the rest of the year. And hopefully, this podcast episode today inspired a place for you to try for the very first time or go back to somewhere that you haven't been to in a long time or that you love. And that's pretty much it. So thank you for listening or watching and consider subscribing if you're watching us on YouTube and um, maybe kindly leave five stars on one of the podcast platforms. Yep. All that good stuff. Um, If you do it, great. If you don't, thank you for your support. Regardless, we're always happy to have any listeners whatsoever for this very young podcast show. And we're excited to get back for the next one. So we'll talk to you then. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.